welcome to Behind the Story. I'm Naomi Craig, author of Rahab's Courage. My co-host Lisa Renee is not able to join us today, um, but I know she would want me to tell you about her fantastic deal that she's got going on. She's got a pre-order on a rom-com box set. You don't want to miss this. It is 30 full-length novels. Um, it's available right now on Apple. So if you have Apple Books or iPhone, um, and you want a great deal, it's only 99 cents for pre-order. Um, I know Lisa would appreciate that. If you're into here for the biblical fiction crowd, uh, my book, Ezekiel's Song, is on pre-order for $2.99, and you also get the, pre, um, the exclusive content called Habakkuk Spartan. So be sure to comment below if you are here for team contemporary or team biblical fiction. Um, and we have a great show today. We have a great giveaway. Be sure to listen to the very end so you know what that is and how you can get a hold of that. So without further ado, I'm very pleased to introduce um, our guest today is uh, Brennan S. McPherson. Brennan writes an epic, imaginative biblical fiction with heart-pounding plots and lyrical prose for readers who like to think biblically and feel deeply. Brennan, thanks so much for joining us on Behind the Story. Thanks so much for having me. So for those who aren't familiar with you, uh, tell us a little bit about you and what you write. Well, um, I write biblical fiction and I've been mainly focusing on a longer series adapting the book of Genesis into uh, long form novels. All the novels function as standalone uh, pieces. So anyone can pick up uh, the books in any order but they also work together. Some of the characters are shared between the books. And so there's, there's good reason to read them all or to read just one of them. Um, but they are also pretty diverse because the different stories uh, kind of are different in, in, in their subgenre. So they're, they're slightly different. Uh, so the first book is Eden, which is sort of like a survival story of the first two people after uh, uh, sitting in the Garden of Eden. And then the next book is Flood, which is sort of more of, along the lines of a family saga. Um, and then Babel is sort of more along the lines of a uh, travel adventure. And Abram is a, another family saga. So those are the four books in the series right now. And uh, that's what I've been working on since about 2016. Okay, excellent. Well, I know your latest book, Abram, came out last year. Um, it's a family saga, like you mentioned. Um, it's got Abram and his brother, and they're, they're, there's Sarai and Lot and all that fun stuff. So how did that, how did that come out? Like, how, what particularly in the scriptures sparked your attention for Abram? Um, one of the things with Abram was just he's got a very complex family relationships. And uh, so I was very curious to explore what those family relationships have been like. And my dog is coming to say hi right now. <laughs> the, the clacky mine will, toes. Mine will, mine will probably bark later, so. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, I was really interested to explore the family dynamics and uh, in particular his relationship with his father 
um, and the long time periods between the different events in Abram's life. Uh, yeah, I, I really wanted to explore just what it means to have patience for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years and to wait for a promise that you might never see. Um, I, I know a lot of people experience these types of things where uh, they, they're looking, I mean, all of us do to some extent because we're all looking forward to the hope of Christ's second coming. Uh, so it's, it's applicable to all of us, but there's also things that we individually feel uh, are in our future, but we don't know when, and many times it's very far off. And sometimes we feel that there's things in our future, and in a way they are, but not how we want them to be. So how do you cope with God answering your prayers in ways that you don't expect? Yeah, that, very relevant for for today's world, too. I love it. So um, I looked at some of your reviews and you've got some great ones. Um, Melissa B says, the author takes scripture and brings it to life. I will never think of Abram, Sarai, or Lot the same way. Uh, it fascinates me to watch the story weave around bones of familiar accounts, adding possible depth and making them even more human and relatable. And then Garbuncle says, I like Brennan's books. He helps me understand my Bible and what it's trying to tell me. I have no church home, no Bible study, people my town isn't all that christian i look forward to his next book what do you say to some of those reviews that those are pretty high praise right there yeah i mean it it, it certainly means a lot and it and it makes me very glad that uh it served a function for people i mean that's always what you hope for when you set out to write a book but i think we as writers you know to a certain extent we have to just write something that is meaningful to us uh, because that's how you do the best work and so to know that something that's meaningful to me was also meaningful to other people is really the the best that you could hope for and it's it feels like a real a real big gift especially after the bad reviews <laughs> <laughs> yeah well and that's what I, I mean I like those types of reviews too like um holding true to the scripture you know that's that's my yeah. key point as a biblical fiction author and I and I really appreciate yours as well, because it's, I mean, it just, it just, that's the whole point of it is we're not trying to divert from the scripture or add to, it's just a possible, what, what could have, why did they make these choices and, and these decisions? So absolutely. Yeah, it, it really, you never set out to write biblical fiction, or at least I don't, uh, right. to, to try and say, this is exactly how it happened. I mean, that's why it's yeah. categorized as fiction. Uh Really, you, you, I'm just setting out to write a what if. And the whole point of that is every time we read scripture, we're thinking about what it looked like. You read about Paul's mm -hmm. imprisonment and you imagine what the cell looked like. You imagine how it smelled or how it felt to be sitting there in the cold, uh, singing praises while you're imprisoned, right? None of that is how it actually happened. <laughs> so we all fictionalize things in our heads as we read scripture. It's a normal, healthy process because we're trying to put ourselves in their shoes to better understand the import of what God is trying to show right. us through the scripture. And writing biblical fiction is really the process of just uh, writing down that process that I went through and hoping that it's helpful for other people because then it can give them that experience without them having to take all that time and do it themselves and maybe give them a different perspective they hadn't thought of. So I know there's a lot of people who feel uncomfortable with biblical fiction um, because it is fictionalizing, but I, 
I honestly don't see it as any different from what pastors and lay people do whenever we read scripture. So what does your, the going back that far, there's limited actual historical documentation. How do you, how do you research and what do you do for your background and stuff? Well, that was one of the things that attracted me to the Genesis stories. Um, it, it's, it's challenging writing historical narrative adaptations because actually I think Abram's story was the most challenging because there's the most information about that period. So I had to do uh, probably about four times more research on Abram than I did any of the previous books. And um, it was about six months of research for Abram. Um, pretty intense time period for it. Um, but you just look up, uh, I mean, a lot of times looking up things up on the internet is really hit or miss. You get conflicting reports of what things were like because, you know, uh, archaeology is constantly changing. They're constantly unearthing new things. Uh, sociology is constantly changing. They're, they're constantly kind of like moving back their timelines for things. Not too long ago, they thought that it was, uh, you know, illegitimate that uh, he would have had access to camels. But uh, now they believe that it's, it totally was, camels were totally in use in that time period. So you know, you, you look stuff up online and people will tell you one thing, but really the, the general consensus in some of the more modern research is more come into line with what scripture has said more often than not. Um, but I looked to a lot of uh, formal academic books on the different areas. So ancient Sumer, I had a, a really great couple formal academic books uh, on paleo uh, paleontology, archaeology, where they're unearthing things. And then how the, their their societies were, what their laws were like, what their customs were like in the different regions, uh, you know, geography, how far away the different uh, areas were from each other, and what their trade relationships were like, and then uh, had some really great books on Egypt too, because Abram's story uh, obviously diverts toward Egypt at at a certain point as well. Um, but all the timelines pass like. 2500 BC get really squishy. So mm -hmm. that time period is, is notoriously difficult to date. We just don't know really what it was like. So I just chose dates that I thought aligned with the different uh, events given in the text of scripture. So it was a lot of going back and forth between the research and scripture to try and find a place that seemed to fit. So um, comment below if you're familiar with the story of Abram, um, if this has sparked some ideas for you, what you'd like to, what you would like to see in ancient Genesis biblical fiction, comment below for that. Um, so Brennan, what inspired you to start writing these fictions? Uh, it's really pretty, pretty simple. <laughs> Thinking back to it, it was a bit weird that I thought this way, but I just, I had always wanted to see books written on Genesis and I never found any that I thought were interesting. And so I was like, well, I'm going to go write them. I'd never written anything. So it was a totally ridiculous idea, but, uh, you know, ended up working on it for quite some time, getting a bunch of books on fiction writing, studying it very seriously. And I just, I took it, I was aggressive with, uh, trying to figure it out and, and learn. And I tried it out and figured out it, it kind of worked. So it kind of, it just started me on this path of writing the, the, the fiction. And then I moved from traditional publishing to indie publishing and 
that was a much better um, time for me. Uh, and I sold way more books being indie published because my background is like, I have a degree in business management. So mm -hmm. I enjoy the administrative side, the marketing side and all of that. And it, it, when I first started out, I wanted to do more unique adaptations. And then as I grew both, uh, as a person and in my, um, spiritual maturity, I really settled more as I went along in the books, more into more of the traditional biblical fiction kind of genre. So, um, yeah, actually to the point where I, I the original book that I wrote, Cain, which I basically depublished, it was so far off and people hated it. So I was like, well, that was a bad idea. Um, everyone <laughs> says, don't publish your first book. And they're right. It's a bad yeah. idea. It's a bad idea. So I went back and rewrote the first book and that's Eden. So okay. Cain is no longer a part of the canon. Don't go read it. You know, please just don't do that to yourself. Um, Eden is much better and it makes more sense. So, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm curious. You're not on social media very much yet. No. You've got, you've got reviews and you're well known in the biblical fiction world. How did you accomplish that? Yeah, by God's grace, it, it, it worked out. And, you know, part of it was I really took marketing the books very seriously and knowing how to um how to market things was very helpful for me so um i put together a, a good launch plan for each of the books after um the first one which flopped the first one was awful that was the one that was traditionally published it flopped it was a horrible failure it was crash and burn cry oh, everything's you know sky's <laughs> falling and then it was like, okay, well, if I'm going to make this work, if I'm going to redeem it, I better get to work and figure out how to really market books. And so I just took it seriously and uh, studied the, the book industry and applied everything that I saw that made sense that I thought would help sell books. And uh, it worked. I mean, I've got experience with digital advertising and um, gleaned a lot from other people. So it was sort of an organic process of coming to learn how to do it and then testing things out. I pretty much tested out every type of ad you could do and figured out what works and what doesn't work. So I do a lot of trial and error, but with smaller budgets, I don't waste too much money. So I'm naturally risk averse and yet, um, and, and I think that's helpful. Uh, I pretty much only put money into what I felt was clearly leading to a positive return on investments. Then you could just scale it up. What's your... a, lot of, a lot of marketing speak, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What's your go-to platform of say ads and stuff? Well, normally when I do a launch, uh, because I'm, when I was writing in the past, I was really unknown. Um, I mean, now more people know who, who I am and what my books are, but I'm still relatively a small author. And so when I launched my books, I launched them at a discount price of 99 cents. And because it's a series, I like to discount the entire series to 99 cents. And then when you do that, uh, you can run ads on it and get a lot of readers uh, because you know it's a limited time, like 14 days running an ad. Hey, the whole thing's on sale. You know, it's like 80 some percent off. Um, you can get four full length novels for 99 cents a piece. It's a good attractive thing for people to, to test it out. And then it's, it's low risk and the people who try it out, who like it will come back. And the people who try it out, and they hate it, they, they, they're less angry at you. So <laughs> um, 
it works well. And I just do kind of a, a blitz for launch. And then three months later, I do another discount with uh, a blitz and I, I do Facebook ads, book bub ads. And I also do um, all of the book discount sites like, uh, you know, Bargain Booksy and My Book Cave and um, a lot of these companies that you get on your their email list and then they send you discount books every day. That's very effective um, for selling books, but you need reviews for it. So that's why I do it after... Mm -hmm you know, 90 days. That's also when your books start selling less. So it, it's just a helpful thing to kind of boost it. So you get kind of six to nine months of pretty good sales. So. Yeah. So I think that if you're just here as a reader, like you just think an author just sits all day at the desk and types out a fantastic novel <laughs> yeah. and, then, <laughs> and then that's it. It's just organically into people's hands, but it's, there's a lot that goes on behind it. And I, I really admire those who have that marketing background and can, can really bust it out like that. Cause I'm learning, but you know, it's still, it's still a, still a process. Yeah. Of course, there's a lot <clears throat> authors are doing. We're writing, we're researching, we're marketing, we're yep. trying to sell networking. our current books and networking. Yep. And yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. And then, and then dealing with, I mean, if you are traditionally published, you have to deal with, you know, agent, the relationships uh -huh. with the publisher, all the creatives who are working on it. You get the book designer, you got the proofreader editor, you right. the, the, the marketing team, you have so much to do. And, uh, it becomes very complicated. And if you are an indie published person, you know, you got bookkeeping, you got all these things to think about that you don't really think about until you're doing it. And it takes an enormous amount of time. So even if you're indie though, going back to that, even if you're indie, you can't just put up your book and then hope everyone will come to find it because there's so many, no. there's so many books being published, which is, it's amazing that people can go and publish books so easily, but definitely would lose sight of those. So you definitely have to be a marketer as well. So yeah, lots definitely. to think about it. And, and, and just, just to put it into perspective too, I mean, it takes thousands of dollars to do it. I mean, mm -hmm. every, you, you think about editing, maybe it can be a couple thousand dollars, could be more, could be less. And then you have, you have to do the book cover that can be expensive. Right. You got to do the typesetting, which I use Vellum, which is easy. So mm -hmm. I do the typesetting myself. And then um, you got to upload all the correct files, the right sizing. Um, you got to do all the metadata. You got to do all these little nitty gritty details. And then when I launch a book, I generally put about $2,500 aside just to launch, to wow. pay for advertising and all that stuff. And so you're spending a good amount of money and it, it is a risk, but... Mm -hmm. At a certain extent, so my, my dad is, uh, is an entrepreneur and he always said, sometimes you have to spend money to make money. And it really is true because if you just put your book out there, it's going to sit out there and there's thousands of books published every week. Mm -hmm. And so how is anyone going to find your book? It's lost in the sea of nothingness. And if they do find it, there's no reviews on it. So if I looked at something and I saw no reviews or very few reviews, I would not spend $5 on it. Right. It's very unlikely that I would, um, especially if the cover is weird and the, the <laughs> copy makes no sense. Uh, but so all these little things matter. And uh, you have to think if you are an author of how you are going to stand out from, from the competition. And um, it's not just art. And it never has really been just art. You know, as, as long as publishers have, have been around, they've had to think like this. But a lot of times mm -hmm. the author hasn't had to think that way. Now we do, 
Um, but luckily there's a lot of resources to figure that yeah. out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what is something fun or quirky that may or may not affect your writing? Well, this is actually an interesting one. So before writing, I was a musician, a full-time drummer. So I did, I was a touring and session drummer. So I would you know, record for people's albums and I would tour. Um, that's what I did full-time. And when I made the jump to writing, I found that a lot of the principles of um, composition actually carry over to writing. And I noticed that the way that I approach um, even writing sentences is first from the perspective of rhythm, because there's, there's a cadence and, you know, even just the number of syllables and words, just intuitively, I think in the terms of rhythm. And uh, for example, when you have a beat, right? If you have three hits, it feels complete. If you have five hits, it feels complete. But if you have an even number of beats, two. Yeah. It feels like it's incomplete. It feels like it needs to go on. And if you use that in the cadence of your sentences, you can actually make it feel awkward by ending with an even number of syllables, or you can make it feel very closed-ended by ending with an odd number of syllables. So it's just a broad principle that transcends all these different art styles. And in visual art, you have the triptych, you know, three, and you have mm -hmm. cutting things into threes, Odd numbers feel good. They feel complete. Even numbers sometimes feel a little bit different. So well, that's yeah. a really interesting perspective. I love it. So um, real quick, tell me about your day job. Um, as you and I were communicating, I kind of caught on to that a little bit. And that was pretty exciting because I've experienced it in my life. What do you do for a day job? So my day job is I work at uh, a nonprofit called the Salvation Poem Project. And uh, we're dedicated to sharing Jesus with the world through song and story. So you can sort of think of us as a nonprofit production house for broad spectrum creative media. But all of the stuff that we build, they're global works of art. So uh, for example, the Salvation Poem is the first intellectual property that we developed. And it's a song, a simple song, six lines, that carries the essence of the gospel simple enough that a child can understand it and is formatted as a sinner's prayer. And that's been translated into nearly a hundred languages and uh, heard by literally hundreds of millions of people. And it's a great tool for sharing the gospel. It's, it's impossible to forget, you know, the Romans road is a little bit more complicated and it can be easy in the moment when, when someone's like, well, what is Christianity all about? Be like, well, the Romans road is, um, uh, <laughs> But with the Salvation Poem, it makes it super easy. It rhymes. You can't, you really can't forget it. So it's Jesus, you died upon a cross and rose again to save the lost. Forgive me now of all my sin. Come be my savior, Lord and friend. Change my life and make it new and help me, Lord, to live for you. It's all the basics of the gospel. And it's so simple and straightforward. Um, so originally the foundation was, was started. The, the nonprofit was started with the hope of teaching the entire world that, that song so that every person in the world would have access to a simple gospel message that they couldn't forget even if they tried. But as we went along, we realized that um, we were really in a position to build other types of, um, of media that could be helpful and come alongside it. So we also developed something called the New Believer Course. So if you go to newbelievercourse.com, 
you'll see the first course that we're offering. It's uh, basically an overview of the gospel. What is the gospel? What does it mean for us? How do we live in response to it? And uh, it takes us through the basic elements of spiritual formation, which is daily prayer, daily scripture reading, and meeting with other people in a church community. And that's sort of like the follow-up to the Salvation Poem. Um, we've also developed some apps and uh, literature, and we've been involved in film. And right now we're actually working on a animated film uh, that is a Bible story. And that's our uh, largest project right now. And we're also working on an interactive video game based on the Gospel of John. So all these tools will work together. And uh, the whole goal with all of it is to make things that are easy to scale up into other languages and that are applicable in other regions of the world. So one of the things with New Believer Course is we, we did animated videos and we did animation because people with my skin color, it's pretty hard for people in India to relate to this. <laughs> I don't look like them. My house doesn't look like their house. And so contextualization becomes a problem. If you do animation, you can do the color design in a way that people in India, people in China, people in uh, South America, people in Europe can all see themselves in those people. Mm. And then if you're not having to sync the lips to a particular language, then you can translate into other languages much easier. Oh, yeah. For example, Japanese takes about 50% more space to say the same thing as you do, would in English. So a lot of our um, offerings are very uniquely designed to overcome the limitations that a lot of other media has when scaling up into other languages and regions of the world. Well, that's a fantastic ministry. Um, I know I've, yeah. I've seen the Salvation Poem with, if you're familiar with Superbook, yep. you'll find that at the end of every episode um, or CBN or Child Evangelism Fellowship. So great work on that. Yep. And yep. And, and actually the, uh, the head producer of Superbook, um, uh, he, he is now working full-time for us. And so he's a, a part of everything that we're doing. And we have a great relationship with CBN. We love CBN. They're close partners. And uh, we're excited about what, what CBN is doing in the future here too. Um, so yeah, and, and one other aside, everything that we do is free. Um, so we don't, we don't charge for anything. All of it's free access. And New Believer Course, for example, is a, a white label resource, which means other ministries can use it and brand it to themselves uh, so that they don't confuse whatever people that they're ministering to. So for example, a missionary could, could grab, pull the content from our website for free and put it on their website. And they could put their header on it and for their, their, their ministry. And then as they reach out to people, they can say, hey, <clears throat> I know that you've expressed you're interested in following the Lord here let's go through this course together and even if they're not with them every day they can do it digitally um, and then open up conversation with them and discuss things via text or through uh, phone calls or zoom calls or whatever so our focus is um, media that shares jesus with people and uh, free access and through partnerships so yeah excellent so what's coming up next for you in the book world? Oh, well, right now I've taken a little bit of a, a break because my day job has become so all-consuming. I'm, uh, I'm working on, I'm, I'm one of the writers for the, the film that we're working on right now because uh, I also write screenplays, scripts. And uh, that's become kind of the absorbing focus right now. 
Uh, and also this last year uh, was, it was kind of a calamitous year for me and my family. Uh, my brother, he got sick and he passed away mm -hmm. from cancer. Uh, and it's been just a little, a little over a year now. And uh, we, we've lost other people too. And so after my brother passed, that was when I was finishing Abram and I just felt so dead and, and burnt out and just emotionally just empty, completely empty. You know? And so after that point, since then, I haven't, I haven't worked at all on any of the books. I didn't feel like I had capacity even for about nine months. So it's only recently that I've been feeling more myself and I'm, I'm hoping to get back to it because I really want to finish Abraham's story in the next book, Abraham. But that would be the next is, is working on Abraham, which is the second half of Abram's story. Abram I'm so sorry. so sorry for your loss. That's terrible. Yeah. But I know um, the readers will be, have grace for you and anxiously await <laughs> Abraham coming out too. So, Yeah, I hope so. You know, you always have that fear that if you uh, wait too long, everyone will be like, who is this guy? Wait, who is this? <laughs> <laughs> what is this? What are we doing? <laughs> Well, good. Where can readers find you online? BrennanMcPherson.com. That's the best place to go. If I ever do uh, give any updates, I'll give updates on the blog there. And okay. um, you can join my email list. That's the best way to stay in touch. I don't really do social media. I basically just have a Facebook page to do Facebook ads. So <laughs> <laughs> literally the only reason why I have it. Um, so yeah, and really part of that is because social media can take a lot of time and between having a day job and writing and having a family, I really mm -hmm. didn't, I don't feel like I have the time to do it well and I'm not good at social media. So yeah, kind of a few reasons behind it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, great. We will have all of Brennan's, well, his website and um, his Amazon page in the, in the description, be sure to follow him for updates. Um, thank you so much for sharing today with our viewers and our listeners on behind the story. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And uh, it, was, it was a great time. I appreciate it. Remember to connect with Brennan and his books. He is offering the first three um, books, which is Flood Eden, and Eden, Eden and, <laughs> yep, Eden, and Babel. Flood and Babel, yes. I know. I got Babel. I have that one. <laughs> yep. Um, as audio books. So um, you'll be sure to sign in the King Sumo to be entered into that. Um, you're not going to want to miss this. Um, I've heard Brennan uh, narrate. That's the term. I've heard Brennan narrate for me, Sue Andrews, and he's got a fantastic narrating voice. So you don't want to miss that. Um, if you are here for the biblical fiction, um, you have a free download of my biblical fiction on Desolate Heights, which is Balaam's story and his talking donkey. And if you're here for the contemporary scene, then Lisa has either an audio or a digital copy of her fake engagement mistakes. So be sure to comment below um, and represent who you're here for. And thanks so much for joining us on Behind the Story. Until next time, let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Take care.